Good evening, fellow dozens, and welcome to an evening at the movies. Yes, I am doing the introduction again just to make sure you're all really paying attention. I'm the sometimes co-host or most of the time co-host Amanda, and I am introducing Casey's show, so I guess I should let Casey talk now. Hi. Yay. Welcome, guys, back to an evening at the movies. And as not always, the simplest. <laughs> yeah, not the simplest. Because we don't talk Love about it. the simplest on an evening at the simplest movies. Yeah, we <laughs> we don't talk about my show here. We just talk about both shows on my show. That was confusing. No, that's a, we can always talk about the simplest on an evening at the movies because it's mutually beneficial to shamelessly name drop each other's podcast whenever we of want. Course. So, of course. But yes, as always, this is the podcast where we eat stale popcorn and drink watered-down sodas and discuss all of our favorite movies and what they mean to us. So, with that said, um, I want to welcome you guys to the Season 3 premiere episode of An Evening at the Movies. Also, not only it, exactly, we three whole seasons into this now well not three whole seasons two whole seasons but we're starting the third one i got you so but yeah and on top of that not only is it the season three premiere but it this is also the premiere episode of an evening at the movies halloween horror fest 2021 spooky halloween i don't know i i freaking love halloween me too. I it wish it was like, October all year long. Exactly. I mean, how can you not enjoy the wonderment that is this beautiful holiday? I think it's the, it's for me, it's that I love horror movies. I grew up on them and, you know, the movie we're going to talk about tonight is my hands down number one favorite movie of all time. Like, not even just horror movie, favorite movie of all time. But I think it's, you know, so some people have an appreciation for it, but I also think it's the adrenaline rush that comes with being scared when you know that nothing bad's going to happen, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I totally get, the, especially with this movie that we're doing tonight. And one of the movies that I'll be discussing next week, which, yeah. We'll get to that later, but yeah, I mean, this both, movie is one that movies, I saw. Oh, sorry. No, I did both of these, both this movie and the one next week are still, I don't care how many times I see them. It's an adrenaline rush, not necessarily like skydiving out of a freaking plane adrenaline rush, but you know, you still get that, you know, you know, what's going to happen around every turn but you're still sitting there on the edge of your seat, freaking watching eyes glued to the TV. And occasionally you get so lost in the moment that you still, you do still get a jump scare from time to time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, this one, even, I mean, this movie, I saw it when I was very, very young, like probably five or six years old. So my entire childhood, I mean, I don't think I could watch it by myself if it wasn't daylight outside until I was in my 20s. It scared the hell out of me. I remember when the first, like, it, 
one of the sequels that came out for it and it was really advertised on TV and I would hear the music on the TV and I would just start crying because I, I could would like go to bed and just hear it in my head and I'd be scared. Like this movie tormented me growing up, but kind of how I'm an emotional cutter that goes along with scary movies too. It's like, I'll watch it. And I know later I'm going to have nightmares and be scared, but I can't not watch it. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally there with you on this one, but this one and next week's episode as well are still movies that even as a 44 year old grown ass old man, I still occasionally from time to time will have nightmares linked to both of those movies. Oh, me too. I, I have nightmares about this particular uh, killer at least two or three times a year. It was a lot more when I was younger. And even today, when the movie starts, the opening sequence, I have to mute it until I can like, I can't hear it just the beginning. I have to like unmute it in the middle. So it's like, cause it just like makes my heart stop for a second. And anytime I hear it and I don't know it's coming, it still like literally to this day has that effect on me. It like makes my heart skip a beat with like, like it startles me. Yeah. I have to know it's coming or, or I get scared. And yeah. Well, and the beauty of oh, this movie. Okay. But yeah, I wish we could make people guess, but the problem is that it's going to be on the, you know, you're going to have it on the episode, but it'd be, it'd be cool if we could make people guess what we're talking about without giving it away but yeah that's okay well yeah, exactly but you know i don't well and before we get into the re revealing the movie that we are secretly discussing already and <laughs> not filling in everybody on but you know there as we get into the heart of the episode you know i'm sure both of us will be sharing personal stories and things of that nature as we discuss why this movie is so important to us right so um for sure so why not i'm just let's get it out of the way and just wait are we gonna get a are we gonna get a musical interlude or well okay hold on two seconds and or i can do it <laughs> keep talking to me as i cue this up or do you already have it queued up i don't Okay, I'm already um, halfway there, so. Yeah, the, uh, the director of this movie is going to be uh, someone I'm paying tribute to here in a little bit, so I'm excited about that. And exactly. Yeah, just so then, many amazing facts and things that just are about the making of this movie. Besides just the movie itself, there's so much interesting folklore that goes along with it, so I'm excited about that, too. Oh, yeah, and it's one of the most iconic horror movies of all time. I don't care. Absolutely. And I mean, I know from personal experience that, you know, you have people who appreciate, you know, you have your Freddy fans, you have your Jason fans, you have your Michael Myers fans. And usually, for the most part, they don't intermingle. But, I mean, yeah. But one of these is responsible for the other ones. Yeah. With, without yeah. this one, there is no 
yeah, the we're, other discuss ones. we're discussing the movie that literally without this movie, there would be no. Well, I'm not going to say wouldn't be no and then say the two other movies because that would give it away. And I am currently ready to um, introduce the movie with a brief musical interlude. Are you fully prepared to hear this? I'm going to I'm going to hold my breath. That's the only way I can do it. Okay. Okay. So. very aggressive it does i think that is more the newer revamped version for um 2018 as well as kills gotcha so if you couldn't tell from the musical interlude and you're listening to this episode and don't recognize that music seriously what the fuck that is probably the most one of the most recognizable movie theme songs yes of all time yes so with that said tonight tonight's episode we are going to be discussing the iconic 1978 classic john carpenter's halloween yeah and if you haven't seen this movie i Okay, I, I'll try to be nice. If you haven't seen this movie, just turn this podcast off right now and go watch it. Like, I feel like anybody who hasn't seen this movie, it's because they don't want to watch it. There's no like, oh, I'm a horror fan and I didn't know about this movie. No, there's oh, just no yeah. way. Well, and let's be honest here. And by the time this episode drops, it'll be dropping October 3rd, which is two days into AMC's Halloween Horror Fest, their own Halloween Horror Fest, whatever the heck it's called. And the first movie of their month-long horror marathon is you this You AMC Fear Fest? Yeah, that one. Okay, gotcha. Because what is the first movie of that Fear Fest every year? Yeah, it's always Halloween. Has to be. So, yeah. There's no excuse for if you're a horror fan and you haven't seen this movie. You're not will, a horror fan. <laughs> I will put shame on you for that because no. I don't care if you're freaking 21 years old and say you're a horror fan. No. If you have not seen this movie and you call yourself a horror fan, shame on you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've I always been obsessed with this movie. I don't put the, you know, yeah. I don't put this movie as my number one favorite horror of all time. I right. put next week's as my number one. But I will gladly and truthfully and honestly say Halloween is literally nipping at the heels of next week's movie. Well, I think this one deserves so much of the oh. 
craze because there there is no Freddy Krueger, there is no Jason, there's no Ghostface, there's no any of those iconic, you know, Leatherface. Yeah. Chainsaw, well, no, Texas Chainsaw came out before Halloween, so we'll let him have that one. But <laughs> well, yeah, but still, Texas Chainsaw didn't have quite the plot. Leatherface wasn't a household name until all these well, other movies started coming out and they all tried to one-up each other. Well, yeah, and that's the beauty of early 80s, late 70s, early 80s horror, is you had all of these movies that literally were coming out and trying to one-up the other two or the other three. And, oh, you just did that with your movie? Well, here, watch me do this now. Do you think we still would have gotten a leprechaun without Michael Myers? <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to. Leprechaun is just the worst. <laughs> Not as though, uh, what are we doing here? So before we get into the movie, I would like to explain to the dozens that, well, you and I have talked about this briefly, but we're going to try something new-ish today with this episode. And we're going to try and make the flow of the episode a little less rigid and formal. Mm-hmm. And we'll still do some of the classic things that you get from an evening at the movies episode. But I think we're going to try and I don't want to say try and make it conversational because, you know, like, you know, saying you're breezy. <laughs> it totally it, it negates the breezy. It negates the breezy. So, yeah, if you say we're making this conversation, well, you're negating the conversationalism of the episode then. But yeah. we're trying, ultimately, we're trying to make it seem and feel more laid back and just like we're sitting around discussing in depth our favorite things about the movies so we're gonna go with it and see how everything turns out and then we'll go from there and if we need to make more tweaks then yeah we've got time to make more tweaks and we're just trying to ultimately evolve and better the show as time goes on and with the fact that before we know it we'll be at the one year anniversary for an evening at the movies as well. Yep. So, you know, we want to make the best podcast that we can make for you guys because you guys are awesome and deserve to have the best. So, of course. But that, I am going to hijack the fun facts section. We're still doing that because that's oh, my yeah. favorite part with this movie. Oh my God, there's so many good fun facts. I mean, we literally could just stop everything right now and just, you know, you know we're doing Halloween and just do the rest of the episode on fun facts alone yeah. and it could be a completely entertaining movie. So I will say um, so I wrote a term paper on horror movies in college. It was like one of my final papers and it was mostly about Halloween and Psycho. It was basically about the history of horror movies but mostly led up to Halloween mm-hmm. and Still to this day, anytime I can tell somebody something about Halloween, like I'm always using it as a conversational piece, like, hey, did you know this? Or did you know that? Or like, whatever. It's just, I don't know why it's just this obsession I have, but it's, 
it's one of the things I know so much about that I get excited to like tell other people about. And they're kind of like, yeah, I don't care. But if I meet you at a party and I find out you like horror movies, I'm gonna be like, oh, did you know this about Halloween? And did you know that about Halloween? And oh, you'll never guess. Like, I just am so excited to tell people about it. Well, and that's part of the reason why I thought this might be the perfect episode for us to try and evolve the show a little bit into a more conversational type experience because it's something that you are incredibly passionate about. It's like my number two favorite horror movie of all time, very closely behind the number one. So, I mean, realistically, Mm -hmm. if a certain movie comes out in approximately 20 days and blows my mind, there's a very real possibility this franchise could jump up and overtake my number one favorite horror franchise of all time. It's that close. And I've already seen the yeah. trailer for Halloween Kills. So if it's so if excited, the movie lives up to the trailer. Oh, buddy, we are in for one hell of a ride on the 15th. Yeah, the new trailer has me so excited. Like, I'm really excited to see Lindsay and Tommy and how, because you never, that's the one thing you haven't gotten in any of these movies, except for the, oh, just abysmal Halloween six, but you know, so you get Tommy in that movie and kind of how, but other than that, you have no idea how this shaped the rest of their lives because they were small children. So I'm really excited to see that angle and hear about it, you know, kind of what happened to them after that well yeah and that's the beauty of this franchise too and ultimately we'll get to some of the sequels probably all of the sequels down the road but you know you have the thing with this franchise is there's so many different variations off of this one movie there's so many timelines (laughs) that you oh god i mean you have I'll share the graph on on the page for everybody. There's a whole like chart. (laughs) Oh, there is. And it's completely mind-blowing how laid out. I mean, because you have the original movie into the sequel and then how you super and you just forget about everything else that comes after two and go straight to 2018 and no two isn't part of that timeline isn't it nope it's not that's why we don't get the brother sister angle in the new one it went straight from the end of 1978 to 2018 you get one and two and then you jump to h2o so you forget four five and six because that's a whole different storyline with a different kid so one and two and then H2O and Resurrection go together. I, I don't, yeah, it's a whole clusterfuck, but. Yeah, the, well, that. Yeah. Two well, is part, not part of the new timeline. Well, let, yeah, Amanda will post a graph and we just <laughs> won't discuss that because the total different roads you can go down coming off of the original is yeah. way too much. Well, and the issue is that you know, 
of course, John Carpenter stopped doing it after Halloween two, and then they got him, you know, Blumhouse got him back for 2018. But after that, you know, the franchise is owned by the Akkad family and they just let whoever wanted to do it, take liberties with the story. So that's why there are so many different, you know, the, the only common thread is that an Akkad is attached to every single one of these movies, but yeah. they're just the producers. So, you know, Mustafa Akkad started it all and then, you know, his sons or whatever, but yeah, people just got to take whatever artistic creative liberties they wanted to with the story but they but i think there were you know probably like copyright and just like certain things like you know okay jamie lee curtis didn't want to have anything to do with number four but they were still able to use a picture like a still from her in the original halloween because they owned the rights to that you know what i mean yeah so it's just like little weird things like that and that's how you get the revelation that jamie is Lori's daughter. Which... Lori and Jimmy's daughter. Yes. Oh, and then, Jimmy. Okay. And then connected to her uncle, which is, according to this storyline, Michael Myers. The boogeyman. On into part five. And then you get to H2O. And, well, no, you get. Six as six. well. Six, yeah. We're we're not discussing six Ugh. for the Halloween franchise is like Freddy's Revenge for the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah, Pure I think they tried. I think they tried to pull a poltergeist with that one. They really tried to get into the whole cult thing because that's where poltergeist was going. I remember, which it was a little yeah. bit later, but I know poltergeist three. That's I get poltergeist three vibes from Halloween six. Yeah. With well, the and, whole guy and, in the in the black coat and the boots and the the whole cult whatever well, thing. Yeah, the uh, whatever it's called. The but I think they started going down that road with uh, part five. Yeah, they did because you start to see the mysterious with the whole tattoo man and, in black getting off yeah. the bus and. You see occasionally, a, you know, a, they pop up from time to time. And then you get the cliffhanger that, you know, Michael is arrested and in jail. And then all of a sudden there's an assault on the prison or on the jail and it's lit on fire. And all of a sudden Michael is freed mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. <coughs> so. Before we get into the movie, there's one last formality that we need to get to. Mm-hmm. And that would be, since we are starting a brand new season here on An Evening at the Movies, we would like to pay tribute to two people and induct them as An Evening at the Movies icons. So with that said... You want me to go first and then you can reveal yours. Yeah. Since it's kind of sort of tied to the subject of. <laughs> right. Episode. Yeah, definitely. So, first off, we both have had a discussion about this induction and we both agree that it is well deserved. So. A little bit about this person that we are honoring. Um, 
she is a huge, huge, huge fan of both An Evening at the Movies as well as The Sip List. Huge. Huge, huge. (laughs) I mean, I believe she's listened to every episode of An Evening at the Movies, and I'm pretty sure she's listened to at least 98% of every episode of the sip list as well if not mm-hmm. 100% of all those episodes and i fully expect to get a confirmation from her when she listens to this episode because <laughs> generally she is the first person that listens to each episode of an evening at the movies as soon as they drop mm-hmm. so i know she's probably clued into the fact now that it's her mystery enough around you know the barn about all this stuff so um we are going to honor brandy flaherty as this episode's an evening at the movies icon so welcome to the club it is well deserved and you are greatly appreciated as one of the original dozens Absolutely. From the, all the way back in the beginning. So thank you for your support on an evening at the movies it, for the last, what, eight months, nine months. And I'm glad that we have you as a devoted fan and loyal member of the dozens. We appreciate you so much. I'm so excited to do this. Well, and on top of a lot of hard work, a lot of interaction, you know, and she even made you that little diamond painting with the logo. And of course, she did the friends one for me that you asked her to do. And she's very dedicated to both of our shows. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, When you have devoted fans like that, it makes what you're doing seem a lot more worthwhile than what you initially thought it was going to be. And I'm not trying to prioritize any one fan as being more important than any of the others, because that's not right. But all the fans are equally loved and appreciated by both of us. But yeah, she's been a rock. And there's been sometimes personal that, yeah. We won't get into details, but certain people know the stories and we'll just leave it at that. And the fact that she is still here through all of that says a lot about who she is as a person. So definitely it's says a lot about her character. Yes. (laughs) So with the fact that the Overlook and Midwest Horror Co. were the first two real-life entities who got honored. It's probably the most fitting time that she would be the third one. So thank you, Brandy, for all your support over the last eight months. Yay, thank you. We love you. And don't you dare ever freaking give up on the show, because if you do, then I don't know where the hell we're going to be. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need you in our corners. You've, you've done a lot and and definitely been supportive and engaged and 
we hope that I say we like I'm talking for both of us, but I mean me on this show with you, but also me on my own show. But I think that I can speak for us to say we hope we're bringing you joy and we appreciate everything that you've done and all your support. And the same to everybody else. We we're glad you're sticking with us. And I hope that means that that you kind of like us a little bit. Kind of. Well, I mean, <laughs> there is the handful of people that still when's Amanda coming back? When's Amanda coming back? It's like, give Why it are you five, so obsessed with me? Right? <laughs> like, give it five seconds and I'm pretty sure I've done one or two solo episodes. I'm pretty sure that that streak's coming to an end and she'll be back within an episode or two. Well, I hope you're also directing them to the sip list. Obviously. <laughs> Look at your numbers compared to mine. Well. Not that I'm complaining. No, I know. I'm not. Speaking of that, can I do a quick shameless plug for my show? Obviously, you don't have Thank to you. ask. So, friends, if you're not already listening to the Sip List podcast, why? Um, but if you're not, or you haven't shared it with all the people that you like, then please do so. Um, my one year Sip anniversary, you like that, is a little over a month away. And my goal is to hit 2,000 plays by that date. Um, I've got about 300 to go. So any support, anybody you think you might, that might like the show, please share it with them. Like, subscribe, share, do all the things. And thanks for your support. I appreciate it. And it is probably my second favorite podcast of all time. Aww. Behind, obviously, An Evening at the Movies. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Overlook, and then I was going to kind of be upset. <laughs> like, well, I love those guys, but what have they done for you lately? Well, <laughs> Just kidding, Tim much, and Dewey. I love you much, guys. Much, much love to Tim and Dewey. Always love to Tim and Dewey. But, I mean, an evening at the movies is my creation. Obviously, and, it has to be your favorite. Yeah. And then, how often am I on the sip list? enough to probably be a co-host <laughs> pretty much but you know it is what it is and yeah i mean and it's nothing against you know bro country or the overlook and stupid freaking computer <laughs> but yeah so but it is what it is then yes if you are not listening to the sip list um please people i highly recommend going and checking it out there's we're really funny and you might learn some stuff (laughs) especially now that we've added the sip libs every episode sip libs are uh, at least just come for the sip libs even if you're like oh they're talking about top five patriotic movies i don't care about that well first of all you should but even if you don't just come for the mad libs the sip libs it's I, I promise you'll be crying laughing. Are freaking certifiably fuckable. Yes. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, shame I've on been you. listening, yeah. Go listen to freaking back episodes of Sip List and you will learn what certifiably fuckable is. So glad we added this because, it, yeah, it's just, oh, so much fun. And Mad Libs were my jam growing up, so. Right. And anyway, we don't uh, hold back when we play that game on the simplest. So 
I don't hold back on anything anymore. I'm about to turn 43. I do what I want within reason. Obviously I'm respectful of people, but you don't like what I have to say. Don't listen. That's fine. So with the fact that you just announced that you're going to be 43 here in a couple of months, (laughs) I have but one thing to say to you. Okay. (laughs) I'll be 45 in February. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, that's cool too. I mean, of course it's cool because I, I have two new employees who are complaining about turning 30 in three years. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah. I remember being like in my late twenties, like, Oh my God, I'm going to be 30. I'm going to be over the hill. And then it's like, I wish I could go back to freaking 30 at this point. Yeah. I had, I I loved my 30th birthday. I had honestly, none of my birthdays have really bummed me out just because, you know, I know it's cheesy, but any day above ground is a good day, right? I guess not always, but you know, Uh, I will say 41 bummed me out pretty hard. Like 40, I was excited about, and maybe it's because I had big plans and, you know, I definitely, once I hit about 38, 39, close to 40, I felt a, a shift in my viewpoints of the world and the way that I, how am I trying to say this? I didn't care as much about what people thought as I used to, um, cause I've always been a people pleaser, but I would say 41 bummed me out. And, and since then I've been kind of like, okay, 30 was awesome. 35, 40. I'm still celebrating now. I'm kind of like, fuck, I'm getting old. <laughs> right. But also like Jen and I said, we are a lot cooler and more laid back and fun than our parents were at our age. I think, I think Gen Xers are, are definitely paving the way for people to be not, you know, stuffy and not you pigeonholed into a certain idea of what a 40 year old should be. Cause I mean, I don't look 40 and in my mind, in my heart, I don't feel 40 or 43 or whatever. So I look 44, but that's only because of the freaking gray hairs. I don't think you look 44 and I've had gray hairs since I was like 32. So so with that compliment <laughs> that you just gave me, I will gladly show my appreciation for it by saying, please tune in and listen to The Sip List. It is an amazing show. Thank you. So and back to Brandy. What'd yes, you say? Back Brand- yeah, back to Brandy. Yeah. We love you, Brandy. Thank you. Uh, congrats on being an icon. You still gotta you still gotta do something for the icons, like a certificate or some kind of some kind of merch or some kind of gold star. We should just mail her a gold star. <laughs> um, there is a plan in the works, and um, you and I can discuss this off air. Okay, I'm also I, about to launch some Sipiversary merch, so stay tuned for that. Yay! And yeah, you and I will discuss what I have planned for um being an icon yes and it, there's one idea as well as probably another idea in some way shape or form that we will ultimately when i iron out the details it will all be revealed to said icons okay cool so but yes all right well let's move on to my your, icon then your induction into the icon wing of an evening at the movies hall of fame 
I think uh, this is going to be a foregone conclusion given what we're talking about tonight. And mine's going to be the celebrity pick, obviously. And it is the master himself, John Carpenter. Um, Yay! I mean, God, just one of the best directors of all time. And not you just know, he, horror, but not just horror, director no. And, directors in general. Yeah. And, you know, he. He's part of that class from the USC film school, which is like, you know, the place to be in film school or was anyway. I mean, I think he was there alongside the people like George Lucas and Ron Howard and Robert Zemeckis. Like they may not have all been there the exact same time, but they were part of that big boom of the Hollywood directors out of USC all within a small handful of years of each other. I mean, yeah, it was like I'm pretty sure he was there the same time as George Lucas. Like I remember reading that, but well, yeah, because it's like Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, John Carpenter, Ron Howard, blah, right. blah, I mean, the who's who of directors in Hollywood history all basically came out of USC within a five to six year window of each other. Right. And a lot of, you know, even more current, I mean. Judd Apatow, Shonda Rhimes, um, trying yeah. to think who else, John Singleton, RIP. I mean, the obviously the USC film school has produced some good, some good people, but blah 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 USC. Yeah, <laughs> right. John Carpenter is is just a genius, and like I've said, we need to throw him into that protective bubble with Stephen King and Betty White. Like, <laughs> right? Raven died. It hurt man it hurt oh god that no yeah i'm not ready for john John carpenter Carpenter. but yeah when i had that memory pop up on my facebook news feed yeah literally what a month and a half month ago whatever however long it's been since he passed away and i was like oh wes craven the man who brought us freddy krueger the man that directed the original scream movie and mm-hmm. on top of it all the other things that he has done not just pigeonholing him into scream and nightmare on elm street but i mean i mean he, those are his most iconic things but still yeah he was very and that john carpenter to me is just because he's not just a director he's a writer he's a composer he wrote the script for halloween in 20 days alongside his girlfriend who was the producer Deborah Hill. He did the score. Him and his son did the score for the new Halloweens. Like he's so multifaceted. He took his script that he wrote in 20 days and literally filmed point one to point two of that movie in 21 days. Yeah. And had it ready to go for post-production. I mean. It wasn't and I think it was like a lot harder back then too, which oh God. We'll get into with the fun facts about the things they had to do to bring this story to life. And this is a pretty simple story. This is a pretty simple movie. Well, I, it's not like there's volcanoes of blood coming out of beds and things like that that you've gotten from Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the thirteenth or whatever. I don't recall there being a whole lot of blood period in this movie no there's only two scenes that have blood and even then it's very minimal very minimal yeah 
yeah john carpenter definitely i mean yes he he took a lot of direction and inspiration from alfred hitchcock which i think is part of what makes halloween so great but he was able to terrify you to your core with hardly any blood and you don't see anybody get murdered like or you don't see him i mean for a long time there's like a 30 35 minute period where you don't see him kill anybody you know you got you've got the beginning with the sister but i think it's like 40 minutes in before he kills annie so you've got all this time where it's just music and lighting and breathing and you know it's just genius well no and that's one of the things i can appreciate about somebody like john carpenter or even like steven spielberg with when he directed jaws and this one wasn't necessarily as much a creativity thing as much as a they couldn't get the effing shark to work right (laughs) you don't see the shark in the original jaws movie until what 10 minutes to go in the movie 15 minutes to go in the movie right and even then it's only a couple of times and then boom they blow the damn thing up and Richard Dreyfus and Roy Schneider freaking float back to freaking yeah town or Quint yeah but yeah John John Carpenter is definitely one of the main reasons I love horror and a creative genius that I appreciate and have always been inspired by even though I don't I obviously don't do anything that has to do with film but back when I wanted to, I was very inspired by him and his movies are incredible. And yeah, he's a visionary genius. So he has to be an icon for sure. Obviously. Yes. And my hat's off to Mr. Carpenter as well. And I would say thank you for your God. Thank you. Brilliant, brilliant work that you've done throughout your career and the gifts that you have given us cinematically, musically, and all things in between you are a true icon and you are rather deserving of this honor yes what would you who would you honestly say is your favorite character in that movie Hmm. i mean i know who i'm going to say just for any reason or because of a specific reason like you yeah any reason i mean i'm just throwing out the idea of Uh, if i'm just picking a favorite based who i who i like the best not because they did anything in particular like you know survived (laughs) um well i mean obviously Lindsay wallace is probably my favorite character she has very little screen time but that kid has zero fucks to give about anything and i am here for it (laughs) right and her and annie (laughs) Her and Annie, well, okay, Annie's, yeah, a little wild child, but yeah, Lindsay, yeah, she literally sat on the couch staring at the freaking TV and hung up on Paul and, <laughs> and yeah, could give two shits about what was going on around her. I mean, she did get freaked out at the end, obviously, with the obviously climax and well and you know the shape was that close to doing all of them in right so you know it is what it is but um for me i think 
my favorite character probably would have to be Dr. Sam Loomis, just for the pure fact. Uh, well, and yeah. there's many reasons behind me saying that, but um, some of the lines that he delivers in the movie, it's like right. you feel the tension building with the music and the everything going on, but then like you have the scene where he's meeting with the head of Smith's Grove Institute where Michael escaped from. And he's, you know, the guy's all like, well, I don't know what the hell happened. We're doing everything we possibly can. And he's all like, you put up a freaking roadblock and you sent an APB that wouldn't even stop a five-year-old child. Right. And he's all you know, it, it's a smart ass statement, but at the same time, it's freaking true. He knows his patient inside and out. He knows the fact that a road. But nobody believes him. Well, you no, know? exactly. Yeah, and that's the problem. He's trying to kick these people, and and even he finished even later in that scene. He's all like, "Well, the guy's like Haddonfield's 150 miles away. I don't know how in the hell he would get there. He doesn't know how to drive." And he, Dr. Loomis turns around and looks at me. He was doing a pretty damn good job last night when he left. <laughs> Maybe someone around here gave him lessons. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's like, why are you freaking second guessing what he's telling? He literally was sitting there watching as right. Michael climbed off the roof of the car, jumped into the freaking station wagon, and peeled off down the freaking road. <laughs> Obviously, he knows how to drive. At some point, somebody taught him. And I, so when you're right, because he, Dr. Loomis is such a big character and he's so like, but like you said, though, his, too, he, his commentary is so it hits you. Like it makes you afraid because we don't know. Like if you think about Halloween, the original, and you haven't seen any of the other movies, it's fucking terrifying because well, he's just this blank face and he killed somebody at six years old so you're obviously scared but my only beef with dr loomis is moving forward they basically you know caricaturized him like the extravagance of which all these movies went to to amplify the whole michael's evil and this and that and it just got to be so much and i hate that they did that to donald pleasance because he stayed for all of those movies yeah, no, he literally was... And they made him a joke. <laughs> for a long time, the only constant thing in the entire franchise was the fact that up until ultimately he, in real life, passed away yeah. while filming that shit show freaking <laughs> yeah. Halloween 6 which was why you got the ending that you got at the end of that movie was yeah he was literally the only constant in that whole entire friend he was there in one he was there in two okay not so much in season of the witch but (laughs) he was there in four he was there in five he was there in six up until the final moment of that movie and even then at that point if he you didn't know that he in real life had died that whole thing was done 
after blackout or not with the camera on the scene so did he actually die right i mean obviously it's addressed in the next movie in h2o when you know you open the movie with his nurse at the house and the all that well the h2o leaves all those movies out it's straight from halloween 2 to h2o so yeah which is why yeah none of that makes sense but i think the thing is with me like donald pleasance you know he i don't think he wasn't the first or second choice but he was a a good he was a theater actor he was like a good good actor and i think halloween made his career and then also sunk his career because by the time you get even four is a little much but okay but five and six you think he's as crazy as michael with his talk and and just yeah (laughs) and one of my favorite so he's like a good quote from the original he had the blackest eyes the devil's eyes and then at the end of halloween h2o when she's about to kill michael and they zoom in on him he's got blue eyes <laughs> like come oh, when, on you guys when, he, when he's pinned between the tree and the yes and he's reaching out like sister please don't help me i need you and then all of a sudden she's whack chops his head off with a freaking axe and it's like yep yep so real quick, I did uh, manage to find this just because it was driving me crazy. So okay. um, half of the budget was spent on the Panavision cameras, which made the movie. That opening sequence with the Panavision, and I love that they did it in, in 2018 as well. Yeah. Um, but Donald Pleasance was paid $20,000 for five days of work. Not too shabby in 1978. <laughs> Wow, could you imagine how John Carpenter was only paid ten thousand dollars to do this movie? Like <laughs> so yeah, anyway. Wow, go fit, yeah. I mean, yay. But and when I say my favorite character in this movie, that's directly linked to the Donald Pleasance version of Dr. Loomis. I'm not even remotely even looking at the malcolm mcdowell rob zombie that fucking guy dr loomis because that dr loomis is to me that asshole is just a pure kick in the nuts to everything that donald pleasance ever did in that role and i appreciate the fact that he did went somewhere different with it but yeah donald pleasance really made that role he really did and he made the movie with his very little you know time in it his his commentary definitely helped the spook factor of this just shape walking around with no apparent motive um well and like when he and the nurse are driving up to the hospital in the opening scene of that movie after baby michael kills his sister not maybe Michael, but six-year-old Michael kills his. Well, let's say, what do you mean, maybe? <laughs> well, yeah, but still, like the whole they're driving up to Smith's Grove to pick up Michael for his court hearing, and the nurse is all like, "Okay, so what do you want me to give him?" And he's like, "Thorazine." She's like, "Well, wait a minute, that's going to turn him into a freaking blithering idiot, right. drooling all over himself," and he's like. That's that's the idea. 
that's exactly what I want because if they think he can't even do X, Y, and Z, then they have no choice but to put him back in the hospital and lock him back up again. And I want him to not ever see the light of day and all of that. And then you see off to the side, you know, inmates running around in a field on the other side of the fence in the middle of the night in the rain and they're like when did they let the inmates out and run them around and then all of a sudden he's like oh shit pull up to the gate hurry hurry and that's when everything the shit hits the fan right michael ends up somehow on the outside of the fence without the gate (laughs) even being open and climbs upon the car and attacks the nurse while Loomis is out trying to get the gate open so that they can drive in and find out what the hell's going on and she ends up yeah abandoning the car he climbs in and takes off down the road but yet he has never been taught how to drive but evidently somebody taught him because he was doing a pretty <laughs> damn somehow he knows that's right. just the joys of little I want to say inaccuracies, but, you know, I don't watch this movie for, you know, spot on 100% perfect little 100% accuracies. I enjoy the movie and (coughs) all about. Well, right. And you got to remember, it's 1978. It was made on basically $150,000 minus, you know, plus the camera with a lot of that being people's salaries and they're filming in a small little neighborhood in California that's supposed to be Illinois in the fall, but really it's Pasadena in the spring. So they've already got that obstacle to, you know, work over, which is why you catch a palm tree in the, in the scenes and just like, you know, whatever. So for all the, the leaves, they literally spray painted these leaves brown would throw them out and then go pick them back up in between scenes because that was all they had to work with. Yeah. So you got to think about that kind of manpower to, you know, to throw all those leaves out there for a 30 second scene and then go pick them all back up. Because you're going to need reuse a, them. maybe a day or two down the road for another scene that's going to be coming up in a different right. part of town. Yeah, so honestly, I mean, yeah, not again, not saying like the best characters, but I would say Lindsay and Annie are my favorite. And I did appreciate Lindsay in the in the Rob Zombie remake. They gave her a little bit more character and she was still super sassy and I I really liked it. <laughs> There's elements of the original Rob Zombie movie that I will appreciate. And there's elements of the Rob Zombie first movie that I don't particularly care for. Right. And there's one key one that you and I have already talked about that I don't particularly care for, and we're not going to get into that one. Oh, yeah. But it's a Well, certain- the problem is he tried to humanize someone who John Carpenter intended not to be humanized. Yeah. J- John Carpenter's intention was you have as little in common, as little any kind of recognition with this person as possible. Like he's not even a person to you. Yeah. Whereas Rob Zombie made Michael, you know, a well, combination of nature and nurture and okay, that's a cool story, 
but that's not what John Carpenter intended. So you just have to think of, I treat Rob Zombie's Halloween like I treat Kubrick's The Shining. It's a separate piece of work from the original and I don't compare them to each other or I get mad. (laughs) Yeah, no. And like I was going to say, there's a reason why if you read the actual script that John Carpenter wrote, it's not referred to as Michael Myers in the script. It right. Michael Myers is referred to as the shape, which totally takes any element of humanity out of the character and gives you as an actor a big clue as to the direction that the director wants you to take the character. Right. So, I mean, again, not, I, did, I don't want to hate on Rob Zombie's original movie, but it, like you said, it's not a story that, it's not the story that John Carpenter had planned for. And I get the fact that Rob Zombie and John Carpenter, not the same people, not the same ideas, not the same vision. That's fine. Right. But, yeah, if you're looking for a nature versus nurture twist on the story, you're probably going to enjoy Rob Zombie's version more than you would the original version. If you latch on to the original version and that's the version that you love, you're probably going to love that version over Rob Zombie's version any day of the week and twice on Sunday. it's the whole idea of there's many paths down the road from you know the original in the halloween lore whether it's you know halloween one halloween two halloween one halloween 2018 kills blah 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 blah. you know halloween one two four five six halloween yeah and all that i mean there's like 12 different freaking paths from the original movie to wherever right. you want to go. And, you know, even Rob Zombie's movie has itself being the base and it goes its own direction into his Halloween 2, which, that's, which he, that's all oh, I have wait. to say about that. Yeah, that Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is complete and utter hot garbage. But even John Carpenter's Halloween 2 wasn't what John Carpenter wanted. He wrote the entire script drunk. And while I appreciate it, and that movie scared me off of hospitals, my, I mean, so when I was a senior in high school, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And so uh-huh. I was in the ICU for a while. And for, I would say, three or four days, I was just not in a coma, but basically in a comatose state. But once I started coming around, you know, my parents didn't stay with me. And I can remember being in the ICU in the middle of the night and the ICU is quiet at nighttime. Like there's not a lot of staff. And I just remember all I could think about was Michael Myers going to come and get me. You know, it's just like, I remember being terrified of hospitals because of that movie. So it definitely had the impact that they wanted, but you can also kind of tell John Carpenter didn't want to do that movie from some of the 
some of the angles in the dialogue. So it he, sucks. He definitely but... seemed like he was phoning it in when it comes to that movie. For sure. For sure. And no um, offense to John Carpenter, but well, he didn't want to do it. I mean, I don't blame him. And and like I... he's he is infamously said, I wrote that script completely drunk. So because he didn't want to do it. So and yet once the script was written and it was time to direct obviously yeah yeah so um well you didn't really even get through all the (laughs) the cast um no well i donald pleasant played dr sam loomis jamie lee curtis plays laurie strode um for the most part nick castle plays michael myers slash the shape Mm-hmm. Um, PJ Souls plays Linda. Nancy, forgive me for mispronouncing this, but I'm guessing it's Keys plays Annie Brackett. Charles Cyphers plays Sheriff Lee Brackett. Kyle Richards plays Lindsay Wallace. Brian Andrews Woo-woo. plays Tommy Doyle. Too bad and... he went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's why he's not in the new movie. <laughs> <laughs> and Nancy Stevens plays. Marion Chambers. Fun fact. Did you know that Dennis Quaid was supposed to play Bob? I did not know that. He was engaged to PJ Souls. And um, so he was supposed to be Bob, but he had a scheduling conflict. They actually got married and then got divorced. But yeah. I I have mixed feelings about the whole idea of husband and wives boyfriend girlfriends doing movies like that it hardly ever works it's like doing together. music videos together you might as well just sign the divorce papers now yeah because i yeah very rarely it's like the whole idea in that episode of friends where um chandler second guessing um Kathy's performance and mm-hmm. Joey's all like, Well, did they have any heat on stage? And he's like, What are you talking about? And he's all like, if they've got heat on the set, that means or on the stage, that means they're not doing anything on right the slide. And but if they don't have any heat on the stage, then you got something to worry about behind the scenes. Right. So <clears throat> yeah when you try and bleed those two elements of your life together very 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 rarely is it ever going to work out right and if it does work out you are truly dedicated to your marriage because yeah yeah even tom cruise and nicole kidman couldn't make it work well tom cruise is a psycho and nicole kidman was Mm. i think like Brainwashed. <laughs> brainwashed by him thank you that's the word i was looking for um okay so cult. <laughs> yeah so i'm just gonna run through some quick fun facts that people may yeah. or may not know we don't have to like get into a bunch of conversation about it just for the sake of <laughs> length here but these no, are just these are just my favorite ones so people may or may not know these um so this movie is full of some Easter eggs if you really know 
horror and especially John Carpenter movies. Um, well, this one nobody would know, but Lori was named after an ex-girlfriend of John Carpenter. Um, Michael Myers was named after a person who helped him on Assault on Precinct 13, which was his movie before Halloween. So people might not know that, but um, Haddonfield was named after Deborah Hill's hometown in New Jersey. Haddonfield, um, New Jersey. Yep. Smith's Grove is named after a, uh, a town in Kentucky, which is close to where John Carpenter grew up. Now, the ones that more people would probably know are the Hitchcock references, which is Sam Loomis, reference from Psycho, um, Tommy Doyle, reference from Rear Window. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's a lot of Psycho, I think, kind of elements in there. Um, John well, Carpenter. Elements oh. of Psycho all the way throughout the franchise, too. True, true. I mean, we kind of sort of even briefly touched on it earlier with the whole fact that once you get all the way down the road to H2O, the connection with um, Jamie Lee and her mom sharing the scene with, they bump into each other and to have that little moment and then she goes and gets in the car that I do believe was the same make and model of the car that it was her character in psycho was put in marion chambers yes again well and that's what i was gonna say the, the ultimate of, hitchcock well yeah and then pushed off into the swamp but okay at the same time too i don't know if you were gonna but what's the name of the nurse in halloween 78 marion yep Chambers, yep. Marion Crane, Marion Crane, Marion Chambers, yep. How? Yep. But yeah, obviously the ultimate Hitchcock connection is casting Janet Lee's daughter as the lead character. Oh, easily. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think. I'm hoping that wasn't a ooh. Let's give her the part just because she's Janet Lee's daughter i mean obviously it probably had something to do with it i i hope she did end up getting the part on talent alone because i think jamie, she did jamie lee is i think personally an awesome actress yeah and she she definitely made Lori, you know a really relatable girl so uh-huh. that's and that's um, why i think you have no choice but to root for her throughout her all the stupid fucking shit she does oh my god she's so stupid all right sorry <laughs> no the hell you say she's stupid she's so stupid i mean i know i don't know it's a horror movie but well, it, <laughs> so it's like carpenter whole... well i was just going to say you get the whole after um, okay, she's hiding in the closet and he breaks through the slats and she takes a coat hanger and impales him with it and he collapses onto back onto the bedroom floor and she comes out of the closet and she goes and gets Tommy and 
Lindsay and tells him to go down the street to the McKenzie's and call the police and blah, 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 blah. Why in the hell did she freaking sit there and just freak? With her back don't all three, Why don't all three of them go to the freaking McKenzie's and call the police? Well, that one I get because she was injured. So I think she wanted them to just be able to hurry and go get somebody as opposed to having to wait on her. But why did she turn her back on him? Like, and that wasn't even her first mistake. Far from it. Oh, God, that's like but, 27th mistake. But just in that ultimate final battle between her and the shape, that's mm-hmm. like her sixth or seventh mistake. Well, but, there, there's a joke that I always make, but um, this was before that. This is one of my fun facts is that people have overanalyzed this movie like, oh, John Carpenter was trying to make some kind of statement and this is a cautionary tale to warn girls of the dangers of premarital sex. That's not true. John Carpenter was not tying virginity to surviving a killer. He had none of those intentions, but that's what people took from it. Yeah. So my joke would always be Lori's untouched vagina is the only reason she survived that shit because she was stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Because only the virgin survives, which is it's funny because Halloween is the movie that started that trend. And that's not even what John Carpenter intended. He's like, I promise there was no moral or social message. It was just, but I don't know that I, I agree with that. I don't, he may not have intended it, but I think on a subconscious and, you know, patriarchal level, the only people that die are the people having sex. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, that argument could be made, but it could. He he swears that was not the truth, not what he tried to do. So he's like, I was not trying to make a moral statement. It's just a movie. Um, and I think too, you you know, because he kind of argues this, and you could too. They're just not paying attention to their surroundings, which is true. Annie is worried, you know, obsessed with. Oh, I'm gonna go meet Paul and have sex with him. Um, By the way, Michael Myers, best cock block ever, because otherwise Paul would be dead too. Right? But, and same, Annie and Bob, they're just, so I get that. They're all just pre-consumed with their own things, and whereas Lori has nothing else going on. So, um, let's see. What were some of the other ones? Oh, John Carpenter wrote this movie based on a real-life experience when he went to a, um, he toured a a psychiatric hospital in college and he said he met a child who stared at him with like an evil look and it terrified him um really yeah not heard that one before see i i love to tell people new stuff um there's also a really good if you want to listen there's a podcast called i believe it's called halloween unmasked And it goes really deep into it kind of talks about John Carpenter's childhood and how he he basically experienced like his either his grandfather or somebody else in his family was basically involved in a lynching. So it talks a lot about his childhood in the 60s and then just all this other stuff that kind of shaped who he was as a person. But anyway, that's just a good podcast to listen to if you guys haven't listened to it. Um, it's old it's a few years old but it came out before the 2018 halloween so 
PJ Souls was picked because of her role in Carrie. Um, the movie was shot in 20 days in the spring in Pasadena. Oh, and this is probably complicates things yes. because Southern California in the spring is not middle Midwest Illinois in, in the, the fall. fall. I've um, never been to Southern California before, but I know good and hell well Southern California does not look like the Midwest in the fall. Can I just tell you that we went to Pasadena and didn't have time for me to go to the places, and I was very upset. <laughs> well, no, because supposedly, according to the, the documentary that I saw... No, they're the, all there. With a few small, minor improvements over the years, the places are all still there. Yep. And I was very mad we didn't get to do that. <laughs> most of the, you know star maps tour of the stars homes blah 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 blah. normally most of them have the halloween locations right at the top of their tour list so and there's actually there's a map you can get i've seen it on like the halloween facebook page i'm on that shows you where to go to like the hardware store and the myers house and the strode house and whatever um so yeah um last ones real quick um, the movie was shot out of sequence. And so John Carpenter came up with a fear meter for Jamie Lee Curtis to let her know how scared she should be during any certain scene. So it was like a scale of one to 10 and he would give her a number because they didn't shoot it in order. So she would know how scared she needed to play Lori. That um, totally makes a whole lot of sense. Genius, totally. right? totally totally oh by the way that could be our trivia question for this episode is how many times does linda say totally in the movie it's actually less than you think uh deborah hill yeah deborah hill wrote the dialogue for the female characters and john carpenter wrote most of the rest dr loomis um all of the actors wore their own clothes. And one of the main things, like one of my favorite things about the movie is the dark lighting. And most of that was just necessity because they didn't have money for lights. Yeah. Well, and it makes of course, sense. John... They only had $300,000. Yeah. And uh, John Carpenter wrote the score in four days. So there you go. I find it fascinating the fact that the studio completely despised this movie when they saw it raw mm-hmm. without the soundtrack added into it. Well, they did it with a test audience too, without the music. And nobody liked the movie at all. Right. But yet the second John Carpenter added the music, it totally brought a new life into the entire movie. And I, but I think that that, you know, people make a big deal out of that, but I think that can be said for most movies. Music is such, whether it's a score or a song or whatever, is so impactful in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, could you imagine watching, you know, the fight scenes in an Avenger movie without any music? Like, or the final but, battle in the karate, the final fight in the tournament in the Karate Kid. 
without right. that building music. Right. I mean, it's just, I think, I think that's a fair thing to say about any movie with no music. It, it there's not a lot to go off of. No. So. But at the same time, his soundtrack and score is some of the most iconic music ever composed of all time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the fact alone that um, I remember watching this movie when I was a kid and the way our house was set up, like there was a hallway with no light that you had to go down to get to the bathroom and Mm -hmm. I remember watching this at night with all the lights off because everybody was in bed and having to go to the bathroom and yeah you get that music latched into your head and you're going down a dark hallway to a bathroom that doesn't have a light on and you're kind of you know walking through the darkness and your heart's starting to beat a little bit faster with every step and it's like the fact that he could do that with just and it's not even like it's complex groups of notes either it, it's the same thing repeated consistently for a period of time yeah so, I mean it's not like it's you know Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or whatever. Right. You guys heard the musical interlude clue all the way back in the beginning. How much of that was seven or eight, nine different notes? Not very freaking many. Well, and it's written in it's written in five-fourths time, which is part of the reason I think it's so scary because it's faster than it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, the, well, it, the, the timing adds, of that it's written is incredible. It adds that element of, yeah, I think the tempo helps to create the element of your heart rate starting to beat faster and faster and faster as, you know, the moment builds and builds and builds to ultimately whatever happens in that scene. Right. Um, yeah, so do we need to run down the plot line of Halloween or I I mean, I think we did a pretty good job of it already to begin with. And it's not like it's a complicated. It's pretty simple. Anyway, I mean, Michael Myers kills his sister. Michael Myers gets committed to a hospital. Michael Myers breaks out of said hospital, runs home to Haddonfield. Kills a couple babysitters. Um, ultimately gets shot and bl- falls off a balcony only to disappear into nowhere. Roll closing, roll closing credits. Speaking I mean, of that, the movie was originally supposed to be called The Babysitter Murders. That was how Erwin um, Yoblins, 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 however you say it, um, introduced it to john carpenter and then they came up with the whole basically john carpenter was inspired by black christmas from like 1974 Uh and so they ended up switching it and making it a a theme around halloween but it was supposed to be 
the babysitter murders, which again, to me, just further perpetuates the idea that, yeah, you're a babysitter, you better be good or bad things will happen to you. (laughs) Right? Because nobody freaking listens anyway. I mean, I I understand. I believe John Carpenter when he says that's not the message he was trying to portray, but so do I. Either way, that's what it became. It it was, you know, a cautionary tale. Well, and it may not have been what he intended, but ultimately, there are people out there who interpreted it to be so. And that's why and, there's so many different urban legends based on that. It's just. It's mm-hmm. to warn girls of the dangers of having sex before marriage. And yeah, it's not. Yeah. Um, oh, so I also read. Um, and I knew this uh, part because of, I can't remember, but. So Tony Moran is the guy who played Michael when the mask comes off. Yeah. And he, he so this says the reason for him being played by different people was that it was only the people who were available on each day of filming. So Michael Myers was actually played by six actors in total, including himself, Nick Castle and John Carpenter. I did not realize that John Carpenter played the shape at one point. So there's, Oh my gosh, what? This is going to drive me crazy now. I know there's a part in the movie that was John Carpenter because it had something to do with being left-handed. And I can't remember what it is. Um, Michael's not left-handed. Yeah, it was something else. I don't know. But yeah, Nick Castle was basically only there because he was John Carpenter's friend at USC and he wanted to watch a movie being directed. And then John Carpenter was like, hey, go throw on this mask. (laughs) This uh, Dr. Kirk mask that they painted white and turned into a different kind of thing, but it's so fucking terrifying. Mm. It's so scary. And it's become an iconic piece of Halloween costuming. Right. And then, so I don't know if anybody else knows this, um, but there was actually a novelization of Halloween. And it's almost impossible to get your hands on now. What makes me mad is I remember checking it out from the library in like high school. And if you want to get it, it's like on eBay or whatever. I mean, hundreds of dollars. Um, I did manage to buy a copy of it as a PDF. So, but I remember reading it as, you know, like in high school. So the novelization is, is good. It's really good. If you can, Find a way to get your hands on it. I suggest reading it. Um, Because the movie makes Michael, you know, basically this like comatose, silent, whatever. In the novel, they make him, as a child still, vocal and more devious. And it it's pretty scary. Um, really? Yeah. Like, I know there's a part where he's like begging Dr. Loomis to throw them a Halloween party and he does, and then somebody dies, and you know, it has to do with Michael, and that's kind of where they realize he's basically a psychopath. So that's just a random thing. But if um 
I bought it as a PDF off Etsy and it was cheap. But if you want the actual book, it's expensive. Like along with the Cemetery Dance version of The Shining, that is the other book that I would love to own a copy of. But God, it's hard to find. I'm and, so sad I didn't buy it all those years ago. <laughs> and you're going to have to pay an arm and a freaking leg to get it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it for less than like $150. And it's a small little like mass market paper book, paperback size. But it's very good. There's been a novelization of all of them, actually. I didn't realize that. Um, so I have, like I said, PDF of Halloween 1 and Halloween 2. And they're pretty good. I will say. Lucky bum. Yeah. Well, I don't mind sharing that with you. It's just you have to read it as a PDF. Or I actually, I printed it and copied and pasted it into a notebook. And it's huge. But I don't know. It's definitely worth a read. So I don't mind sharing it with you. Well, I would much gratefully appreciate that. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, ultimately, like, we we basically just skimmed over the freaking plot. I mean, there's obviously more detail to It's not really the point. <laughs> but it's a horror slasher movie, and you get the gist of it just by the whole fact of he comes back to Haddonfield, he kills a couple people. And he gets shot and falls off a freaking balcony. The end. That. And for the, I, <laughs> I will say that probably I have a gut feeling that ninety nine percent of the people who are going to listen to this episode have already seen this movie multiple times. Obviously. So. I don't feel bad about not giving too in-depth of detail on this just for the pure fact that you guys all know it and I don't want to patronize you guys with you know a mindless you know beat by beat retelling of the entire story and because I think to a certain extent you guys don't necessarily fully enjoy that but you know it is what it is and but yeah so, I mean, it's not necessary, no. obviously. So it's if it, it would be one thing if it was a movie that Halloween is just you know, it's Halloween. It's some people like it, some people don't. I think it represents everything that we have come to know since like 1980 as the horror movie standard. And yes, there's cheesy parts of it, but Halloween is so it's so subtle. It's Mm-hmm. Again, it's music and lighting and jump scares. And that's it. Well, it's yeah, so like simple and, I, and it's genius. Even like you and I had discussed earlier, and I don't remember if it was on air or off air, but there's only two moments, brief, brief moments in the entire movie where you see blood. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Carpenter is using all the tools in his toolbox to help create the terror and the scare moments that he's creating on the screen. And a lot of it you don't necessarily think about until 
you hear somebody say these things and then you go back and look at it it's like oh wait a minute yeah no there wasn't a whole lot of blood in the entire movie or well because what is the most terrifying thing is the thing that you can't see yeah it's your imagination it's the thing you can't see it's the thing that you know is going to be around the corner and you have to go face it but you are scared to when it's in your face and somebody's just being stabbed and blood's gushing everywhere like that's not scary it's just gross the scare is the anticipation and the fear that was a direct cheap shot at movies like hostile and saw yeah i mean it's not scary it's just gross like and some people like that and that's fine but torture porn is not my thing i think we've discussed this and to me what's always scarier is the unknown it's the lori walking across the street to the wallace house because she knows something's wrong but she doesn't really know what's wrong and she doesn't know what she's going to find and she thinks it's partly just a joke but part of her still scared it it's the walking into a room and seeing your friend dead and realizing okay this isn't a joke you know the unknown is always what is more scary so exactly and that's the brilliance of john carpenter's work so with us referring to the brilliance that is this movie um so i guess we both kind of sort of have already given our opinions on how we feel about this movie um i mean do you want to spew out more information about why you love this movie or do you want to just cut right to it and give the movie a rating no, I mean, I think, you know, I, again, I grew up with this movie. My, you know, if if we're doing more icons just to throw in with John Carpenter, I get to throw my mom in there. She's a horror movie junkie. I'm convinced that I love this movie because she watched it while she was pregnant with me. I was two months away from being born when this movie came out. And, you know, I grew up, I mean, I saw all these movies way before I should have seen them. And... You know, it's just, it's a movie I can never get enough of, no matter how many times I've seen it. And I love watching it when it's on Fear Fest. I love, if if you guys haven't done this and you're on Twitter or you just want to chat with people, if you tweet along when they're playing it on AMC, I mean, I made a very dear friend that way, actually. Like somebody I still talk to all the time who I've never met in person, just from tweeting about something that we all love, which is the same with podcasting. So yeah it's just you know a lot of nostalgia and something i grew up with and i'm a horror fan and i think all of modern day horror uh owes everything to john carpenter and mustafa akkad and erwin yoblins and the genius that is halloween so um i mean i feel pretty much the same way as you do and you know without halloween there would be no freddy krueger there would be no Jason Voorhees. There'd be no Chucky, no Leprechaun, no... Right. Or even if there was, it wouldn't be the same as what it is today. John Carpenter laid... John Carpenter set the table for guys like Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham and guys like that to sit at and right. that 
so that they could reap the benefits of his creativity and his hard work. Right. Not and obviously we owe, we owe Halloween to Psycho and Black Christmas and, you know, other, I mean, you could even go as far back as Dracula. Like John Carpenter definitely took inspiration from especially Alfred Hitchcock. So it goes farther back, but I do think as modern day horror goes, mm-hmm. it all goes back to Halloween. Exactly. And that's the beauty of what, john carpenter did with this movie and like we said when we inducted him or you have said when you inducted him and i agreed with you you know as an icon my hats off to the guy he is his work is definitely a huge significant part of my childhood and i grew up watching his movies like you way too young way more younger than i should have been watching them way too young which is why i was terrified yeah so for me oh go ahead ahead. ahead. I i was going straight to the chase and wrapping it up but i'll let you finish before i do well i was just gonna say for me i think the the re one of the reasons i love this movie so much is that i have again come full circle with the amount of emotions I felt with this movie. I mean, like Mm -hmm. it terrified me as a child, but I couldn't not watch it. But I've also had nightmares. Even to this day, I at least two or three times a year, I have nightmares that Michael Myers is trying to kill me. And it doesn't even coincide with watching the movie. It can just be random. Um, If I'm home alone and it's dark and I watch it, I turn all the lights on and I'm 42 years old. Like, and I know it's not real, but it's just, you know, you have that association from childhood, I think, and from something being so scary. Yeah. It's so simple. It's so terrifying. It's like the simplest things in the world are end up being the scariest things in the world. Right. Because the thing is with horror, I mean, like psycho's a little bit different, but other than psycho before halloween you had monsters you had dracula you had frankenstein the swamp thing the wolf man you know the thing the uh-huh. you know everything was like kind of fantasy this movie was something that could fucking happen to anybody anywhere anytime just well, some random person coming in and killing you for no reason yeah, halloween That's and psycho terrifying yeah halloween and psycho really brought a real life element to the horror genre yeah so brother sister angle yes or no do you like it yes or no i'm not as much a fan of the brother sister angle i i don't necessarily have to have everything explained to me right in a nice pretty package with a little pink bow wrapped up on it i don't think there needs to be that element to the story to have the story be what it is so my own personal opinion is i would lean more on eliminating those movies that come after 78 that tie Lori together with 
Jamie and her kid and all of the, there doesn't need to be a whole Myers family reunion in the final moment of the final movie that's ever made. Right. You know, I agree. I, I think it makes it less scary. Yeah. And, I, and it's not what Carpenter intended. No. And I think if you leave the family element out of it, that adds a, a whole lot more element of terror with the fact that, okay, you don't know why he's doing what he's doing. He's purely psychotic evil. Right. I mean, he picked Lori because she came up to his house and shoved right. a key through the mail hole. And then he just started following her. It's not because there's some deeper meaning. And then even people will talk about in the 2018, well, why why can't we make them brother and sister? He's clearly still chasing her. Well, no, the argument could be made that she's the one chasing him. Like, yeah. yes, he, he comes back to Haddonfield because that's the only place he knows. She's the one that's pursuing him, not the other way around. He's just killing people. She's the one that finds him and then he sees her. And then obviously after that, he's going to be after her. But mm -hmm. up until that point, you don't know what he's doing. No. So and the that, argument could go either way. And therein lies the horror of the story. Right. It's not necessarily all Michael Myers being this horrific shape, but you also have the element of Lori pursuing him and trying to put an end to him once and for all. Right. And what that has done to her psychologically throughout the last 43 years. Yeah. 43 and I will years. say I, I wasn't, I wasn't really a fan of how Lori's character developed into the 2018 like you know i and maybe it's because i'm spoiled to other characters i mean if you look at like let's just say laurie strode versus sydney prescott uh -huh. like sydney is a fighter and i feel like laurie is just a survivor and she's like forever in fear mode and she's forever in aggression mode and I hated to see her character like maybe that's realistic but I hated to see how her life played out that this one incident ruined her entire life but then also she wasn't wrong because if you listen to her version he's still after her yeah but I still feel like she was after him you know so I don't know but yeah, okay. If we're if we're doing rankings, you know mine. It's it's five out well, of five I'm... of all the things. <laughs> well, the pumpkins, yeah, the with... stabs, the knives. Yeah, I mean, you the masks. You can't just pin it on one thing because Halloween is a whole lot of things. So yeah, let's just go with the fact that Halloween is a five out of five of all the things. Yes, absolutely. Like, it is an amazing movie, and again, if you have not seen this movie, walk, no, run, yes, run <laughs> to your nearest streaming service and find it online, or again, this episode is dropping on October 3rd, 
which means that Halloween Fear or AMC Fear Fest has started two days yes. ago, which means Halloween has already been on TV. So you can probably find it on demand. So go freaking watch this movie. If you do not go watch this movie, get the heck out of my damn country. That is you know what? If you legitimately have not seen Halloween for whatever reason and you want to watch it, hit me up in my DMs and I will help you out because if if you haven't seen it and you want to, something's wrong. Um, well, yeah, other- not like it's that hard to find. I mean, I can find, I can give you any numerous amounts of people that can help you online or you can probably find a... It's actually not on a lot of streaming services, I don't think. The original, it... Probably it not. was on Shutter. I'm not 100% sure it's still on there. Um, it, AMC, was the other, it was the it, other day when I looked. Okay. So Shutter and AMC Plus, but like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, it's not on there. But so, okay, here's the other point though, too. You can go to your local corporate juggernaut mm-hmm. because we are in the month of October now. And you'll find it. And you can find it with their cheap freaking horror movies because, and I have seen it this season already on the shelf. I have two. It is in a two pack with Halloween and Halloween two, or you can get it in a two pack with Halloween as they call it 1978 and Halloween 2018. Mm-hmm. So there is plenty of options for you to go out there and find it. Or worst case, I'll hook you up. If you haven't seen it, you let me know. Um, And then also, I would recommend if you want to learn more about Halloween and the entire Halloween franchise, not just the original, to pick up the book Taking Shape by Dustin McNeil and Travis Mullins. It's a very in-depth look and interviews and everything into all of the everything from Halloween 1978 up until the 2018 Halloween, which is when this movie came out. So you get a whole tour of the whole journey and interviews with people that were involved in the movies, and it's a very cool book. And it will fully prepare you for Halloween Kills, which comes out and streams on the Peacock Network on October 15th, and which Her Royal Highness will be coming back on an evening at the movies and we will be discussing this movie yeah we're gonna uh, figure out a way to go thing coming up on the sip list we need to discuss before i go into my hour-long list of plans that we have on anything at the movies well please don't be an hour long because i really have to pee um well, no i'm not <laughs> going to be an hour long I will be recording tonight with Johnny from Film Lovers and Moral Combat Podcasts, and we are going to be counting down our top five favorite movies with Asian League characters. So stay tuned for that. And then next week, I will be recording with Chris, and we're going to be discussing our top five worst sequels ever. So, yeah. I have opinions on that subject. Thank you very much. Also, really quick, um, it, assuming this airs before Tuesday, please go... Very briefly. So, coming up later this week, I have the original Child's Play. Next week will be um, Nightmare on Elm Street and 
Frankenstein, not just any Frankenstein, the original Boris Karloff black and white Frankenstein. Thank you very much. And then obviously moving forward into the week after that, you will be looking at um, Halloween 2018 as well as sometime that weekend, Halloween Kills in some way, shape, or form. And Amanda and I will have to figure out how we're going to do this. So we will go from there. But, and then after that, you've got the rest of Halloween Horror Fest. And I'm not going into the details for the rest of that this month. And then what next month in December and January and all that. We'll get to those when we get to them. So was that quick Are you sure? You? No. <laughs> are, are you sure? No, I'm just kidding. Yes. Ha ha. Uh, all right well thank you guys for listening and that was halloween 1978 john carpenter's classic 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 it's a classic (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna throw another curveball at the dozens and we're gonna send this out the same way we opened it back up so your royal highness take us on home thank you all for joining we hope you enjoyed this covering of 1978 John Carpenter's classic Halloween. And as always, thanks for listening to an evening at the movies and uh, we will see you back soon. Goodbye. Peace.